But turning to tonight's show, um, I'm so glad you're here joining me as I interview Dr. Bob Hieronymus and Laura Cortner discussing their new book, The Secret Life of Lady Liberty, Goddess in the New World. We'll delve into why Lady Liberty might encourage women to positions of power and what, uh, what about it led Bob to a pro-environmental message to slow down man-made climate change. Further, uh, evangelical Christians associate goddess as being associated with Satan. So what does Bob and Laura think about where this leaves Libertas, our American goddess? We'll talk about Belva Lockwood and Victoria Woodhull, the first women who campaigned for president long before Hillary. Uh, Laura and Bob will share with listeners the association between Libertas and feminists and suffragists who... uh, have protested for women's rights long ago. Discover what the Cathars, Mary Magdalene, Black Madonnas, and Joan of Arc have to do with Lady Liberty. We'll talk about the flexibility and symbols of the Statue of Liberty and much, much more than you ever thought related to the statue in New York Harbor. You know, we have many goddesses on many seals of our states, you know, on our state flags and seals and uh, crests and uh, all sorts of those things. Also, uh, on a lot of the buildings in New York, you'll see these wonderful motifs on some of the older buildings, um, you know, depicting the sacred feminine and uh, many of her aspects. But how many of us actually stop to think about why they're there, what we, what, what that all means, and uh, what's the message that lies right there, hidden in plain sight. So I want to say uh, welcome to uh, Bob and Laura. Um, I'm going to uh, tell you a bit about them uh, by way of their bio, and then we'll uh, start our chat. Uh, Robert Hieronymus, Ph.D., is an internationally known historian, visual artist, and radio show host, uh, and he's appeared on History, Discovery, BBC, and National Geographic channels. Uh, He's the host of 21st Century Radio, and he lives in Maryland. Laura E. Kortner has authored previous titles with uh, Bob, including Founding Fathers, Secret Societies, and United Symbolism of America. Her work appears regularly in periodicals like UFO Magazine, Fate Magazine, and several Beals publications. She's the director of the Rushcombe Mansion Community Health Center, and uh, she also resides in Maryland. So, Bob, Laura, welcome to the show. Oh, thank you for having us on. We've been looking forward to this. Yeah, thank you for allowing us to add the voice of the Statue of Liberty to the voices of the sacred feminine. Great, oh, thank great you show both. title you, you have. Well, you know, I am a fan of of both of you. Uh, you know, for for the past few years, you know, we've uh, we've been colleagues here in in the radio show business, so to speak. And uh, I was so thrilled to hear that uh, you were doing this book because, uh, uh, you know, she is, you know, Lady Liberty is our American goddess, and she is hidden there in plain sight. And you know, we uh, we hear so often that uh, you know it, this is a Christian nation, and uh, Sometimes when we hear that, we wonder where um, 
ideas or archetypes or uh, energies like the sacred feminine, how it all, uh, you know, how it all fits into um, the the tapestry, you know, that is our country. You know, Bob, you're well known as the historical expert on the reverse of the Great Seal of the U.S. Um, what made you decide uh, to to write about the Statue of Liberty? Well, I was uh, very concerned about so many historical inaccuracies that have been written by other authors who some of them were attacking the Statue of Liberty, didn't have their history correct. And when you check, you know, any good book, you should be able to go to the bibliography and see where they get their information. And when you do that, you will quickly learn that they don't go to very reliable sources. Now, this may sound boring to most people, but I'm a Virgo. I <laughs> I Me love, too, Bob. <laughs> I, I love to find out and get it right the first time. And I got extremely upset by some of the things that were being said about her. But, you know, when we first started to do this book, it was going to be a totally different kind of book. Uh, it, we, Laura, would you like to talk about the difference in how it, we were given the idea and then what we, we did with uh, it? Well, it did turn out to be a much different book than we thought. We were going to do something rather simple, which um, goes through the breakdown of the symbolism, what the various levels mean, and Bob can do that later for you if you like, and trace through some of the revolutionary generation's use of the goddess. They had an Indian princess, they had an Indian queen, they had Columbia, they had various different depictions of what we call the American liberty goddess, which by the time 1886 comes around and the Statue of Liberty goes up, she sort of supplanted all those previous versions of the American liberty goddess. So when people think of Lady Liberty now, they just think of her. So we thought we would do something like that, and our publisher in her traditions um, said, oh, before I go further into this story, I wanted to say thank you, Karen, because your listeners should know and would not be surprised to know that you helped us very, very much oh, yes. at the very beginning when this this, this uh, puzzle came to us from our publisher. They said, uh, okay, that sounds like an interesting book, but it's kind of been done before, so let's expand the theme, and they gave us this concept of look at her as a goddess in the new world. And, okay, well, those are two very loaded concepts. Goddess, as you referred to earlier, is a controversial term amongst Americans, especially those brought up in the Abrahamic traditions, and uh, thinking that anything that's beyond male depiction of divinity must be therefore satanic, so we can get into that later if you like. Um, and new world itself is a controversial term because it implies that the old world was somehow better, more civilized, and they came here and made the new world better. So it's not exactly fair to the Native Americans to use that term. So we generally refer to this continent as the Americas to make it more of a, a, a neutral term. In any case, what mm -hmm. we discovered by doing this was we, we were looking for all these other depictions of the female divine, especially as they related to the New World, <laughs> to the Americas. And by doing that, by looking at the Statue of Liberty's actual history and through the lens of her specifically as a goddess, as a depiction of female divine power, we were led to all these other spheres of not just female divinity, but female power, you know, actual women who, of course, have been influencing history throughout from the beginning, and especially throughout the American uh, founding of this nation. 
And we just don't hear about these women necessarily very much because they're not included in the history books. I think like 8% of history is, is about women's contributions, which is absurd. Um, so that's how this, uh, all these connections came into the Cathars and the Black Madonnas and uh, Mary Magdalene. We were looking for other depictions of hidden female power. Okay. Well, and, um, you know, and, and you're so right uh, about, uh, you know, women's history. I mean, there's such a dearth of information out there. I mean, when Women's History Month rolls around, uh, I think that's one that really sort of hits us in the face, um, you know, how much, uh, you know, how, how many contributions made by women have uh, really sort of been swept beneath the rug. I mean, we all know mm-hmm. that uh, oftentimes women authors, uh, you know, had to even, you know, write under a male name uh, in order to be taken seriously. So um, I'm, I'm glad that you did that. And, and you'll probably talk about uh, Belle V. Lockwood and Victoria mm-hmm. Woodhull, uh, you know, later on in the show, because so many people were under the misconception uh, that Hillary Clinton was first, and no, uh, she really yeah. isn't first. Not it's even just, close. She's the one getting all the press. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, absolutely. First from a um, major party. I think that's the claim she can make. First nomination from a major party. Well, I think she okay, did really yeah, so, well the other night. Yeah. Well, you know, um, yeah, uh, so we uh, go ahead. The way, the way I entered into uh, growing up, so to speak, in re, in this particular area, I, uh, I this is going to be embarrassing. Do you mind if I embarrass myself here yeah, for a little it. while? This is a good. You know, <laughs> I was I was raised in the '40s and the '50s, uh, basically to believe that women just weren't the equals of men. I don't know. How in the world I was taken over by this concept. However, it wasn't until I was a young man uh, in my, oh, say, 20s, 30s, that uh, I was turned around by all of us have mentors. Well, my mentor was an unusual one. My mentor was the late William Donald Schaefer, who became America's mayor. Maryland. In Maryland, and uh, and governor and controller, and he came to me when he was in uh, in an election, and he was not going to win that election. He was facing a judge, and that judge was corrupt. And I learned about that how important it was to get a mayor that wasn't going to be corrupt. And he came to me and said, "Look, would you do my poster?" So I did his poster. Bob's an artist. I don't know if he mentioned that. And I did his poster. Mm-hmm. And it, what, it, what it was was Aquarius pouring the energies of uh, life onto the planet Earth from the heavens, the stars, Isis, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Well, he just loved it. And so did, so did the African-American because we had a very large African-American population. And he won. And he won by a landslide, literally. Then he asked me to do the same thing when he was governor. Now, eventually, I said to him, how in the world do you succeed? And Mayor Schaefer said to me at this time, surround yourself with intelligent women. In other words, Put intelligent women on your committees, 
and you can be assured that you're going to get the job done because women look for compromise more often than domination, and that was the key to me. Domination, of which we've seen a lot of this domination uh, uh, philosophy, which has been going on for Mm -hmm. millenniums, millenniums. And he said, when you do that, you'll win. And he was right. He really was. Uh, so, so was it a surprise? Did did that come as a surprise to you, Bob? Absolutely, absolutely. You thought he was you off know, his rocker. <laughs> no, I, I look. I, I I saw how he succeeded against all odds. I mean, to become right. a a white mayor in a, a basically black city was no small undertaking, especially going up against a judge. And um, right. Donald Schaefer was extremely, uh, he was known for that, his female uh, oh, yes. advisors. And Bob has actually followed the advice. Because, That's right. Karen, you know his wife, Zohara, who's a brilliant author and artist herself. And um, that's obviously a first choice. But we have our webmaster is uh, Amy, and our uh, associate producer is Meg, and our office coordinator is Helen. So we have a, a nice a uh, collection of uh, strong, independent women uh, running Hieronymus and Company here because it, it works. Like and, and, yourself, and, you're, and yourself, too. Don't forget and myself you, yourself there, Laura. I've got to make that point, though, that you, all of you are more intelligent than I am. And that's no joke. We're not kidding around here. They are smart. <laughs> and, and, the, and their hearts uh, you know, are open to all kinds of uh, higher awareness and consciousness. So, so I, he was absolutely right, and um, he he did a lot of things and opened me up. He he actually believed in reincarnation. Yeah, he was incredible. He sent me to Egypt several times. Wow. Uh, to connect and establish a sister city relationship with Luxor, Egypt, and Alexandria, Egypt. He knew about the gods and the goddesses. Eventually, from that experience, I. Uh, you mentioned before the Great Seal of the United States, which it took me like 30 years to work on that, um, and especially that pyramid with the eye in the triangle. You know, the mm-hmm. same pyramid mm-hmm. in the eye in the triangle that a lot of people are thinking is such a big conspiracy. But he yeah. listened, uh, as a matter of fact, Schaefer understood that. But when I went to Egypt and established our sister city with those two cities and came back, who should come to the United States of America but Anwar Sadat? And I I loved Anwar Sadat. I loved his wife because they belong literally to the same kind of consciousness that we were talking about. And yeah, he was a man of peace before before his uh, assassination, cor- yes, if, he, uh, if he, I recall. Yeah. Correct. He paid the price. His own people killed yeah. him. And yeah. uh, well, anyway, when we met... Um, I had a gold great seal of the United States, and I handed it to him, the eye in the triangle and the pyramid first, and he said, ah, this is a meditation. And I said, what do you mean by that meditation? He said, well, look, take a look at the pyramid and the eye in the triangle, and he said, this is Egypt. Now, turn it over, look above the eagle's head. And what do you see? A six-pointed star. He said, that's Israel. He said, it is the destiny. 
that Egypt and Israel would work together for world peace. Well, this about really knocked me down. I mean, geez, oh whiz, to have a man that you love so dearly and, and, and fear for his life to come out with that. I'm sorry to take so long on that, but, but you know, the, this pyramid, the eye in a triangle, which is, is, tells a heck of a great story, it is a feminine symbol. It is about higher consciousness. It's America's female symbolism. And the front side with the eagle and the, and the arrows and the bottle branch is the more masculine side. So uh, that the impression and the, this man, William Donald Schaefer, made a huge difference in my life. And uh, he was one of our greatest mayors ever. Well, you know, uh, I, I think it's it's, it's possibly. I, I hope anyway. I think it's it's becoming more and more uh, in the minds of Americans that uh, we do have so many uh, female s- symbols hidden in plain sight. I mean, there was a great book that came out uh, a couple years ago, and I had the guest on my show, and I've done presentations on it. How Washington, uh, all this, all the Masonic symbols, and so much of what we can find around uh, Washington, uh, you know, not just uh, Lady Liberty atop the, uh, the, you know, the Congressional Dome, but, uh, you know, the Supreme Court, the Library of Congress. Uh, there's so many things that yeah. point to uh, the sacred feminine, you know, in our uh, country's uh, capital. Uh, we just have to be willing, I think, to look at things with, with a fresh set of eyes. Um, so, Laura, you know, maybe throwing it back to you, um, how do you see the Statue of Liberty as kind of a, a symbol to encourage uh, voting and uh, maybe women to, um, you know, get into positions of power in government? Well, you're right about Washington, D.C. There are goddesses everywhere, and it's not just Lady Liberty, it's Lady Justice, and there's uh, a lot of Ceres, and Minerva is all over the Library of Congress. She's abounding. Mm -hmm. And I think that, and the Statue of Liberty, too, uh, clearly demonstrates that the founding artists, you know, those of the revolutionary generation, were not creating a Christian nation. I think that's one of the biggest proofs right there, is the artwork that they left behind is not Christian artwork. It's neoclassical, it's Roman-influenced, and to them, they were not threatened by these images of the female divine. They saw them for what they were in art history, their their metaphors. Um, So the Statue of Liberty as an inspiration for voting women into positions of power, that, that comes from our desire that people recognize her as a goddess. I think we take it for granted. If, you know, the general public, that is probably not the listeners to your show who are very attuned to the goddess, but the general public, they they may have remembered from history class that she's based on the Roman goddess Libertas, who was the patron of the freed slaves, but they just lump that together in their brains with whatever else they learned in mythology, and they don't really think about it, you know, as God as a woman. That's what she is, and that's why the evangelical Christians are so uptight about her and have actually created quite a few fiery campaigns to take her down, and they call her the Whore of Babylon. They associate all goddesses, all depictions of female divine, as the same satanic temptress type of goddess, which is commonly called the Whore of Babylon. So we have a whole chapter in the book called How the Statue of Liberty Became the Whore of Babylon. Um, However, if we can get beyond that, and to the rational people who listen to your show and are in tune with their own female side, and that's men as well as women, 
and the, the goddess within, so to speak, and the goddess without that, that allows for us to value feminine, so-called feminine strengths, those of life-giving and nurturing and caregiving, as valuable, you know, the fundamental building blocks of, of success in, in corporations and in, in nations and families is, is taking care of each other. So we need to value mm-hmm. that as a strength. So that's how we see the Statue of Liberty. If we can emphasize the fact that she's a goddess and that is a powerful female and emphasize those powerful female strengths, because America identifies that symbol as America. I mean, around the world, that's the symbol for America. I think even more often than the flag. You see that, you say America. So right. we have adopted her as our symbol. We are identifying ourselves, our nation, as a goddess. So we hope that that would instill more people to see those qualities as valuable. And that's when it yeah. just naturally becomes obvious that you have to vote more women into positions of power. Because right now, what do we have, 20% of Congress? Two in ten of all the congressional representatives are women. And we use the League of the Iroquois quite a lot in this book as an example. Not only did they influence the founding uh, the, the ones who actually framed the Constitution. I mean, you can go point by point through that and see where the League of the Iroquois' great law of peace influenced them. Um, but, of course, they left out the part about the Council of the Clan Mothers, which amongst the Iroquois was as important as, let's say, the Supreme Court. They were in charge of all the most important decisions. And the indigenous cultures that we studied when we looked at her as a goddess in the New World, all the matrilineal type of cultures... They consider, as you know, the genders as partners rather than one over the other, as we've been brought up to operate a hierarchical, patriarchal system. Um, And if we can infuse more goddess awareness about the Statue of Liberty, we would hope that we would lift that up so that genders will become partners. And, you know, what did the Dalai Lama say? The world will be saved by Western women or something along those lines? Yeah. You know, American women need to become leaders. And to um, yeah. well, we need to vote for policies that will allow caregiving. So we're hoping that identifying ourselves as a goddess purposefully might help inspire more of that. Yeah, yeah she's a role but, model, really. I mean, as right. a sort of a, a, put it in a nutshell. Um, so, Bob, why don't you, you know, tell us a bit about? Go, go ahead. I was, oh, I, I would just like to talk about symbols a little bit, if that's possible, and then get, touch on uh, the Statue of Liberty and symbols which which uh, are literally all about balance because our entire culture is out of balance uh the the thing that is needed most of all is what the league of the iroquois had as laura mentioned a little while ago i, I was shocked to note that they had uh, a government a republic here in the united states i think it was 1014 A.D. 1142. Yeah, 1142 A.D. That's a long time ago. And they they literally, uh, especially the women in in their matrilineal culture, that held the power in the reins, especially the clan mothers, as as Laura mentioned earlier. And unfortunately, or well, fortunately at first, our founding fathers paid attention to them. They actually sat in on deliberations when America was going to uh, choose whether or not to have a, a what kind of a future government, et cetera. And they lived and slept, I think it was an independence hall, for, for, for days, um, actually maybe in weeks. 
And uh, so the influence on Jefferson, especially Washington, Monroe, Franklin, etc., was really key to putting together how to form or create a republic, and that is a representative form of government. And their republic lasted for centuries. Of course, that, that's a, a smaller group of five nations than 13 states, but it was extremely important. Tell us about the symbolism of the Statue of Liberty. Well, sure. You want to hear that? <laughs> you got off track. <laughs> yes, I got off track on it. Well, first of all, about symbols. Symbols are really significant forces in the human psyche, and they're a bridge between the conscious and unconscious mind, and they cultivate wholeness, which results in self-realization. And when a symbol contains both conscious and unconscious elements, it is in balance and can, and can relate to an entire psychic system. Uh, that's especially a true in transpersonal and humanistic psychology. And when you take a look at um, a Statue of Liberty symbol, starting, say, with that torch, that torch, well, Laboulaye said that this torch is not a torch that is going to burn it's going to, in, well, enlighten. It's the torch that sets a fire. They called it the flambeau or a candle flame that, that enlightens. It is enlightenment. Our goddess is holding enlightenment in her right hand. Now, right hand, left hand symbolism. Right hand is, is, is the symbol of literally action. It is the more... Uh, masculine aspect of it and as a matter of fact it is energizes and so she is energizing the aspect of enlightenment and when you take a look of her left hand her left hand the left hand really is all about well the opposite is the feminine and it is higher consciousness and it's in balance the statue of liberty when you take a look at it at symbols in one side, it's the right and left, masculine, feminine, positive, negative, etc. And those, that symbol of bringing both together is kind of like symbolic of we human beings. We human beings are both masculine and feminine. I may be 51% masculine, 49% feminine, etc. And what I've tried to do and have grown towards is trying to put those in balance. And, and being an, an artist, that, that helps greatly. So that torch is extremely important when you talk about enlightenment being activated by her arm. Now, there are other symbols in this, in this which would take quite a while to do. Maybe I could touch on some yeah. of the others later on. Okay, well, and, and interesting that, that uh, well, probably n not just interesting, but important that you would uh, raise the symbol of enlightenment, especially today when it seems like we're surrounded by forces of anti-intellectualism. Uh, you know, it's, it, it's, it's really quite... Um, uh, quite scary, I think. Uh, you know the the, the trend uh, that we have today. You know, so sort of the dumbing down of America, the de 
defunding of education. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, you know, we're we're. I, I just had a guest on last week. Uh, you know, talking about the university systems are failing as corporate America tries to, you know, influence what teachers uh, can teach. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, we're we're really in a very dangerous place right now. Would Would you agree, Bob or Laura? Absolutely. Just take a look at Texas and what's going on down there. And, and when they destroyed Planned Parenthood, uh, and, that, and that's some, this has been growing. There's at least uh, 30 other states that are attempting to do the same thing. And when you take that kind of knowledge away, then you're going to have greater disease and you're going to have greater death. Texas has more women dying in dealing with the birth process than any country around the world. Excuse me, I'm getting excited well, here. Well, Higher, that's it's okay. higher well, maternal it, it, mortality it, it, rate than any of the developed world. I, I better stay rational. Well, <laughs> I, can't, I can't help. Well, it. and and you know, and and it's and it's not only uh, just uh, uh, you know that realm of life. You know, I mean, I had Richard Wolf on, and he was talking about how teachers can't get tenure, economists can't get tenure if they talk about socialism. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, my guest David Hillman last week, uh, he was fired for teaching. Aspects of the classics that the college didn't want uh, taught because it was uh, it was against greed. You know, we're, we're, we see journalists. Journalism is dying. You know, the fourth estate. Yeah. Uh, it, we're in a dangerous place right now, and it it, it even goes beyond uh, the typical right wing fear of women's sexuality. Right. You read some of the things from the founding generation, the revolutionary generation, and what they what they expected for the future for us in order to maintain what they what they developed and they required virtuous leaders and of course highly educated leaders but they really played up virtue in fact that's why they used so many depictions of the allegorical female Uh, not only did they not adopt that part of the Iroquois teachings but they were breaking away from their mother country they broke away from Britannia. They had their own allegorical mother figure, and they had to create their own new one. So they created this Indian princess who took on parts of the symbolism of Britannia and parts of the symbolism of Libertas, and then added the Indian tobacco leaf skirt and the feathered headdress. And she really rallied the public to revolution in, in many ways. And so they surrounded themselves with these female depictions right after the revolutionary, right after the war was won. They just blew up. You know, Minerva was everywhere, and Demeter, and the cornucopia, and symbolisms of, of goddesses in all these different depictions were used, as you mentioned in the introduction, in the, in the designs of the state seals, in the designs of their new flags, and in the statuary and artwork, of course, and in a lot of their plays. The very first opera that was written by an American, Francis Hopkinson, was about Minerva. And they're, they're just everywhere. And I think that part of that was a psychological need to return a mother figure they, that they'd lost through severing with Britain. But also they knew that virtue was extremely important, and they thought that that would be the way that they would instill that in their populace by uh, creating this woman on a shelf pedestal. Obviously they weren't giving their own women any true liberty, and that's a, a huge hypocrisy that's pointed out deftly by the suffragists a, a century later. Uh, but they they were hoping to instill that. They developed the whole thing called Republican motherhood so that they would give their women something to do after the war, and their role was to raise virtuous citizens. And it, it worked for about a generation. 
and then it started to get taken over by greed and the Industrial Revolution, and and soon after the War of 1812, those type of values were being pushed aside for profit and so forth, and it just steadily eroded. Um, but it is it is quite remarkable when you read how they're starting out and how they list these things, that this is absolutely essential. It was virtue and education. That's why we like the Statue of Liberty, because it, enlightenment is wisdom. It's, we can call it education and learning. She's holding that up as, you know, she's reaching for the infinite goddess, goodness, divinity. And that's why we right. love America and the, the, the potential of America. It's, American liberty is based on enlightenment, and it's embodied by a goddess. Could, could I so, Laura, um, you, you mentioned uh, you mentioned the suffragists, um, mm-hmm. and uh, we know that uh, the suffragists and the early feminists uh, they protested at uh, or, or near the Statue of Liberty. Mm-hmm. Uh, do you want to speak to that a little bit? Yeah, that's an amusing story. <laughs> I think anyway, I'm sure they didn't think of it at the time. But, um, yeah, this was 1886, we have to remember. It's it's 100 years after the Revolution when the Statue of Liberty is a concept and becomes an idea. And it's right in the throes of the beginning of the women's rights movement, which started around 1840-something. And so 1886, the statue is finally finished and is going to be unveiled with huge pomp and circumstance. I think a million people came to the event. They poured out throughout the streets of lower Manhattan. And the VIPs were invited to the actual island, and President Grover Cleveland gave a speech and everything. So the leader of the suffrage movement, uh, the association in New York City, her name was Lily Devereux Blake. She was a very creative, very effective activist, journalist that most of us have never heard of and should have. Uh, She, together with Matilda Jocelyn Gage, another hugely influential woman um, that most people have never heard of, uh, and, and their little group, they decided this uh, statue unveiling was something they couldn't pass up. It was an opportunity for them to, to make a protest and get some publicity. So on a shoestring budget, they rented a boat. They had about 200 supporters. They went out, and uh, due to some organizational confusion, they ended up right at the feet of Lady Liberty. They were in between two military ships, kind of squished in there, and they, they read out their little protest, um, I shouldn't belittle it. They read out their serious protest about this giant hypocrisy, they called it, uh, a delightful inconsistency, another quote that I just love, that these men were raising up this figure of a woman to stand for liberty in a land where no women had liberty. At the time, of course, they were covered by their husbands, that old English law, that coverture, that once you got married, you became one person, and the woman lost all her rights to her wages, to her children, to her opinion even. And uh, single women had much, had Hello. quite a bit more freedom. Hello. Right then, yeah. Are we still Laura, there? Laura, are you there? Did we get lost? Uh, I'm. Uh, uh, okay, you're you're back now. We lost you okay. for a second. Oh, I'm not we, sure. We didn't go anywhere. Uh, really. <laughs> We stayed here. Uh, yeah, I'm not sure what happened. Well, you were you were talking about the coverture that women yeah. lost all of right. their all of all of their everything to in right. the, uh, so single you know, women to their had marriage. even more rights rights than married women did. So let's see. So they were out. They they protested and they they raised their um, objections and then they lowered the veil that was covering the face, the official unveiling. And after that, everything went wild for about half an hour. There was fireworks, there were ship horns, it was, it was huge, loud and smoky and everything. And Lily Devereux Blake remembered later, she wrote, that tears just welled up in her eyes, and suddenly she saw this huge woman, 
in a whole new light. And she said, this is going to be a symbol for our future. And, you know, we're going to hold to this. Our woman liberty is what she started calling her. So it took a couple of years, but they finally got over their resentment of her as a hypocrisy and started to use her as an influence for their own movement. And um, the generation that grew up later, the ones who were born under the Statue of Liberty's shadow, Alice Paul was born in 1885, and many of her colleagues were born around the same time. And this is the younger generation that went on to pass the 19th Amendment. They would dress up as the Statue of Liberty at their parades and other versions of the goddesses, the Herald, who looks a lot like Nike, uh, the victory goddess, um, and Joan of Arc. They also adopted her as a, a female allegory of, of independent female strength. So I, it, it's a conjecture, but I like to think that the Statue of Liberty influenced and inspired the women's rights movement to become more active and energize their own movement until we finally got the vote in 1920. And, um, you know, then again in 1970, 50 years later, the women's lib movement is just starting out. And uh, again, in New York, they said, uh, we've got to do some kind of uh, marking to the passage of the 50th anniversary. What can we do? Let's take over the Statue of Liberty. So they, they made this 40-foot banner that says, Women of the World Unite. You may have seen this picture. And, oh, and they go out there and they hang it on the pedestal. They had to fight with the security guards, but they got it out there, and they did their picket line down on the bottom, and we interviewed some of these feminists, and they, were, they said the same thing. They were looking up at the statue when their, when their banner came down, and they said, wow, the Statue of Liberty is one of us. She's, she's with us. I never <laughs> thought of her as a feminist before, but I did on that day. And that, that what a action, wonderful story. Yeah, that action brought out 5,000 people to this march that they were trying to organize, again, on a shoestring budget, because it was covered so well by the media. There's the Statue of Liberty proclaiming, women of the world unite. I just love that picture. I I do, too. So, Bob, let me uh, go back to you. Um, How did your study of the Statue of Liberty lead you to to such a pro-environmental message uh, about slowing down climate change? Uh, How how are you connecting environmentalism with the statue? Well, uh, our, our planet's a goddess. We live in a patriarchal world. The patriarch basically puts economic and uh, corporate concerns first, always. And Mother Nature is not going to be able to take that much longer. I did a mural called The Apocalypse in Johns Hopkins University in 1968, which told the story, because in 1968, after spending a little time with Jimi Hendrix and a whole bunch of the other guys and rock and rollers, Um, I got to the point where I wanted to know not just about the symbols that they were talking about. Oh, I lost my train of thought there. Uh, Oh, let's see. Uh, You were talking about the Apocalypse mural? Yes. Oh, yes. Yes. And in this mural, you see the Statue of Liberty going down in flames. And you see a black person not necessarily an African-American, but a black person, a person of color, reaching for this torch as it goes down. You see water coming in over the Statue of Liberty. You see it set on fire. Now, that is just a small image within the mural. And what it was talking about 
is the corporate world literally was destroying our planet by making sure that money came first. And today, it's understood that you can understand this philosophy as the 1% versus the 99%. Actually, mm-hmm. it's less than 1%, and and it's 99.9%, actually. It's the billionaires and the multimillionaires and their corporations, which are come first. They come first before good food. They are allowed to advertise and do well, anyway, I listed many of the corporations inside, and I had to also uh, list uh, what I think is the man of the major culprits in corporate world today, which is a broadcasting, uh, uh, Fox Broadcasting. Am mm-hmm. I allowed to say this? Well, you just did. Yeah, well, yeah, okay. absolutely. Uh, yeah, we well, say it all the time. Think, <laughs> where, would, where would this other patriarch who is running for president today, and I'm not going to name his name, I don't want to give him any power, but where would he be without Fox Television? He, he's, well, he's defended yeah, time and time well, again. Well, I, I, I agree with you, Bob. But you know, I think I, I, I think the part of the problem is uh, news has become entertainment. It's all about ratings. Uh, it, it, it hasn't just been Fox that's been giving him all the free advertising. You know, uh, it's it. I, I think this has just been a circus. And, uh, you know, they've thrown out, I, I think there is no journalism anymore, you know. Uh, it's not about the issues. Uh, it's, you know, they all just want to be there in case some, uh, you know, he's, he says something unusual. You know, they, they want to be the ones that uh, uh, broadcast it first. You know, they, they've lost their integrity. They've lost their uh, sense of, uh, you know, their responsibility to democracy. Uh, you know, that's all down the drain now. Well, I understand that, but the point is, is that Fox established that type of entertainment. And if you check into the history of it, you'll find that that was the key. The the thing that is not really being discussed so much is where the far, far right, who has now gained enormous power, is their goal is to eliminate separation of church and state. That is where they're headed. And uh, now you don't see the individual who's running the masculine guy talk about that. But all of those others that were especially uh, vying for his position are supported and support. They have hidden support of the elimination of separation of church and state and making this a Christian nation. That is their key. They do want to take down the Statue of Liberty and put a cross there, and they do want to take down the other Statue of Liberty on top of the Capitol building and put a cross there. We, they want to have, as they call it, Jesus rule, Jesus to be president. Uh, monoculture. Say they want a monoculture like the Puritans. Yeah. They're very similar well, ex- to the Puritans. Ex- ex- except, that, except that they've kind of thrown out uh, all the values that Jesus spoke about. You know, Isn't so that the way they're, they're, 
yeah, they, you know, therein lies more hypocrisy, you know. Right. Yeah. I Absolutely. just want to mention one tying back to the Statue of Liberty and the environment. We we introduced that subject through one of her ancestors, the Indian Queen, which is an image that was used in the pre uh, in the very earliest days of the European discovery when they would draw an allegorical woman for this continent. They named it the Indian Queen and they called her America. So it's another depiction of the female goddess america and we have a lot of these images on our website which is secretlifeofladyliberty.com where you see the indian queen is this muscular savage looking woman mostly naked that was very important usually holding a severed head or a club and on this fantastical looking armadillo or you know they obviously were drawn by people who'd never been here before and the the idea is that she was naked and she was uh, somewhat intimidating and frightening, but also sexually alluring. They they wrote about this world, this discovered land as as a virgin waiting to be ravished and you know open arms and it it it, it encouraged a lot more of investors in the new discovery. That's why they were doing it. They would play up things like there's Amazons running along the the uh, the the side of the river. That's why they gave that river down there in Brazil that name because of this idea that somebody started that there are, are, and there may have been, there were documented tribes of women down there that lived women without husbands, I think was the way they translated it. But needless to say, they, they played that up for the mythology factor to, to get more investors. But anyway, I just wanted to mention the Indian queen because she's a fascinating sideline to the history of the, that's part of the secret life of Lady Liberty. Indeed. Yeah. Interesting. Well, and and I want to talk a little bit about the origins. And um, I, I, uh, I, we we know the Statue of Liberty came from France. And mm-hmm. I'm curious about something I heard down the road. And I wonder if this is a if this is a factoid or if this is uh, urban legend. Um, I heard that the uh, the Frenchman who designed the statue actually modeled her pose after. A, a statue of Isis holding a sistrum aloft, but instead of you know them, uh, you know, but, but instead of Lady Liberty, uh, you know, having a sistrum in her hand, she had the uh, the torch. Is there any truth to that? That it was oh, actually an Isis yeah. statue? Well, there are all kinds of rumors, especially now that the internet has specialized in rumors that will tell you things like that, that the Statue of Liberty is based on this or that. And the um, the paranoid conspiracy theorists, as we call them, they tend to be very right-wing radicals. Um, and they hate women, I have to add that. This is, uh, I think, their alter- ulterior motive here. They're very anti-feminist rhetoric, but that's a sideline. Um, what am I answering? I've completely forgotten the question. I, is, was ISIS the statue oh, yes, that the statue the, uh, was modeled after? ISIS. Um, okay, so there's a very small thread that you can use to tie the Statue of Liberty to Egypt and Egyptian monuments. Um, the sculptor's name was Auguste Bartholdi. He was a Frenchman, and he did make a couple of trips to Egypt when he was a young man and was extremely impressed by the colossal statuary there. He wrote in glowing terms about what he learned and how that influenced his desire to also create a colossus. His um, His art style was average, you know, maybe above average, but his claim to fame is this colossus, the idea that his statue is huge, and that's not easy to do, uh, easy to do successfully in particular, and that's, he got a lot of his inspiration from the colossal, colossi of Memnon, 
and these are these humanoid figures that have a, a gaze that sort of goes out into eternity and, uh, you know, passive, uh, sort of androgynous face. That's why the face of the Statue of Liberty is that classically androgynous look. So um, he also proposed a statue for an Egyptian ruler, and this was a good 10 so years before the idea of the Statue of Liberty came up. Uh, the Suez Canal was a new thing, and France, of course, was sponsoring that. And he got involved and got invited to something where he could make a pitch to the Khedive Ishmael Pasha of, of Egypt at the time and said, hey, I've got this great idea for a huge woman statue. We'll make it an Egyptian peasant woman, not Isis. He never said that. It was not a divine female. It was an Egyptian peasant woman holding up a lantern. But because it's similar in idea to the Statue of Liberty, it was pounced upon by Bartholdi's critics many years later when they discovered that he'd originally proposed this idea for Egypt. And they said, well, you recycled that idea. Our Statue of Liberty is not original. And he said, no, it's not the same idea. This was a symbol. This was a statue that was called Progress. It was not called Liberty. It was called Egypt Bringing Progress to Asia. That was the official name of the statue in French, of course. I translated it. Um, and there are lots of different symbolic differences between it was never made, for one thing. It was just a design. Um, but the conspiracy theorists today will point to that and say, aha, it was ISIS. See, he made an Egyptian woman. They'll use that to say it was originally a black woman. That's another rumor that you'll see on the Internet quite often, that he originally wanted it to be a freed slave woman, but the South the southern states objected, so he had to change the features to a white woman. That's not true either. There's no historical documentation for that, but it sounds good. And they'll, they'll point to this earlier statue that was an Egyptian idea, or it wasn't a statue, the idea for a statue that was an Egyptian woman. So, yeah, he knew about Egyptian artwork, and he studied it carefully, but there's no direct influence to ISIS. Of course, it's going to look like it, because a lot of the same figures are going to have the same pose. He did credit the mm -hmm. um, one of the seven wonders of the world. Which one was it, Bob? Helios, the um, oh, Colossus the, of Rhodes. Colossus of Rhodes. Right. Yeah, that was the masculine patriarch principle. Right. So there. if yeah. you can compare her to anything, it's Apollo, because that's what that statue is. And he yeah. did say that that was one of his direct influences. Okay. All right. Well. Well. Good. Thank you for straightening me out there. I will. I will not ever repeat that. Uh, that <laughs> myth. <laughs> Again. Uh, you know. In. In talking about ISIS uh, and Lady Liberty. Um, so. Well, you know, so tell us a little. Oh. Go ahead, Bob. Well, you know that's one of the problems uh, we have with the internet, and that's why I brought up this thing of being thing called bibliographies. Where do they get their information? Yeah, check their sources. And you, they, you check out their sources, and it's a blog on the Internet. Yeah. And you check out that particular blogger, and you find out, when you see their alleged bibliography, that he really didn't know. Well, they go one from another. Yes, and I know. And that's one, of the, right. that's one of the biggest. Well, our, I can't, I'm sorry to go back to this, but it's important. Your references that you use are really key to the quality of your work. Like even if, right. Say, for instance, uh, especially you know when I think of um, uh, Jesus Christ, I think of an all-loving being. And when you get to the teachings of the Gnostics, especially, it's very important. And... Uh, uh, one of our dear friend, Dr. Elaine Pagels, professor of religion at Princeton University, 
who uh, uh, we have a wonderful relationship. Her work is, is just phenomenal along these lines. But unfortunately, the Internet has done some good and it has done some harm, especially in really dumbing down human beings. And that's why conspiracies today are so popular. You got, in conspiracies, you don't have to think. You can just emote. You can speculate. And they do. And we have that problem today in all kinds of other literature. So, so that's my view of, of that aspect of it. Well, that, well, yeah, I mean, you know, uh, often too, you know, I mean, if uh, so often with a lot of the ancient texts, uh, we run into the same problem when uh, we have Christian translations of Greek. Um, you know, we have problems when ethnographers uh, often, you know, write, uh, you know, myths of other cultures, you know, sometimes it's tainted with their Christian or Victorian viewpoint, you know, right. uh, it, 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 it's, it's very hard, you know. It's it's very hard to get to the true source, and uh, I think sometimes it's even hard to vet things, uh, mm-hmm. you know, on the internet because you can't always tell what the agenda is of the people who are putting forth, uh, you know, putting forth a story. You know, um, it's it's difficult. You're you're right, Bob. It, the internet is a double-edged sword, and you know, there, there's so much to know about the. Uh, about the Statue of Liberty, uh, you guys included, you know, her connection to the Cathars and Mary Magdalene and Black Madonnas, and uh, but you know we hardly have time to go into all of yeah. that. And of course, you want my listeners to get the book. You don't want to give it that all away free. Yeah. <laughs> you know, one of the great um, things so, about this book, one of the great things about this book, are all the illustrations. It is a treasure. We've heard people from, you know all over talk about those hundred and some illustrations which you can hardly find anywhere and Laura is responsible. And we for have doing even that. more than that on our website. Oh yes. Secretlifeoflady.com. Okay. So Karen, well, well um, yeah, it will, well, as, as we as we uh, I'm, I'm sorry, go ahead Laura, what were you going to say? I was saying you probably have one time for one last question. Well, I was going to say, as as we start to wrap it up, um, you know, what do you want to leave listeners with? What what haven't we said about the Statue of Liberty that uh, you feel is important to say? Well, some of the other symbols, like the radiant crown, the the rays of light, and her crown means she's a very inner enlightened being, and she is in balance because that's what the Statue of Liberty is about balance. You know, Carl Jung said the highest goal of evolution is the crown of eternal life. And then, of course, the chain. You don't see the chain because it's under the foot of the Statue of Liberty. She is stepping on that chain, which is bondage of religious and political oppression. And those are extraordinarily important symbols which are kind of invisible. And I would just return to the... I'm sorry, I was going to return to the the idea that the Statue of Liberty is our best-known symbol of female power in, in our American canon, and she's, she stands as the conscience of our nation. You'll see her in cartoons often paired with Uncle Sam as the more uh, materialistic goals of our nation, and she's there as the conscience telling him, no, 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 don't do that. And she has, through that, she has the ability to strengthen the goddess qualities, the female power in all of us. And if we can acknowledge that our national icon is American goddess, it could transform the society to where compassion and nurturing 
enlightened liberty is just taken for granted. So we would like to focus on that and increase the power of nurturing qualities that would it would help everybody. Especially during these well, times. Yeah. I mean, it, yeah, I mean, it would get away from domination. It would get away from exploitation, the predator capitalism. I mean, she really does stand opposite all of those things that uh, are causing the, you know, the suffering, the austerity, the, mm-hmm. uh, you know, the wage gap, uh, you know, all the ills of society when you think about it, right. you know, right. if uh, we really would just embody what she uh, represents. Right. Um, you know, it through the, her lens, through the lens of Lady Liberty. She's in balance, and so should we be in balance, put ourselves in balance with our masculine and feminine natures and, and emulate that. I think that's extremely important for the future, especially for our children in the future, the seven generations beyond. But we are going to go through great earth changes, and it's unfortunate. Yeah, that's why compassion is so important to emphasize right now. We've got to take care of each other. Yep, we have to learn to take care of each other. Well, you know, you guys are out there and you have your pulse on, uh, you know, what's happening. I know your, uh, you know, your show is, you know, actually bravely and courageously, I think, runs uh, on a conservative network, uh, yeah. if, if memory serves uh Yeah, we're here in the belly of the beast. Uh, I, yeah, you know, I, and I'm I'm so amazed that they have they have let you uh, have a voice. Uh, but you know, I wonder if you get this sense that that I have, and maybe it's just wishful thinking on my part. But you tell me if, you know, if you say, "Oh, Karen, you're crazy," that's okay. Um, but you know, I think you know, I get more and more the sense of that this is what it's like to live in the evolution. That all of the things that are coming to light, whether I, I, I almost feel like it is getting so bad because it maybe even has to get a little bit worse before it flips and it gets mm-hmm. better. Um, you know, that it's, you know, one step forward and two steps back. Um, I don't know. Do you, it, it, has that, I mean, does that feel right to you on any level that this transparency that we're seeing we're having to rely on hackers for, uh, you know, to find out what's going on with our government because, you know, the government isn't transparent anymore. We have the, uh, you know, news media that's obviously biased. Uh, you know, as a Bernie Sanders supporter, I really, uh, you know, felt that hit me between the eyes like a two-by-four, uh, you know, during this presidential campaign. Um, I mean, so much uh, it, it feels like is be- coming uh, coming to the fore. You know, we have the Black Lives Matter. Seems like every day someone is getting shot. Um, I don't know. It, 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 m- tell me. I mean, does any of this make any sense? Does it resonate at all? Well, we're growing, we're growing up. We are more than just physical bodies. We are discovering higher consciousness and, and the fact that there are other beings around, not just this place, but other worlds. And during this growing process, we are going to become more enlightened and live in the now instead of the past or the future. And I think that will be a key to holding something together and the compassion that's needed because the Native Americans have said the Earth Mother has basically had it and is about ready to speak. So we're going to go through rough times, and that's the reason why we must learn to serve others through prayer, 
through meditation, and most important, service to to others. others. Service to others is absolutely key to change things around. We just can't sit around and watch television and, you know, that kind of aspect of it. Yeah, Boy, or, or sit on Facebook and, and hit like or 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 not, you know. Uh, yeah, no, I, I, I totally get that. And I almost feel like as we're, you know, some of us are, you know, kind of blazing the trail, you know, with our with our machetes to create a new normal. Uh, it's, it's almost as if, um, you know, we we are we are planting the seeds to provide an alternative to the you know the patriarchal dominator yeah. culture and they're you not going to go away lightly they're going to hang on as hard as they can but you're absolutely yeah. correct you're we are building we are the road builders we are building mm-hmm. roads for others so that others can stand on our shoulders yeah. and lift us up because we will need them well, well, well. Thank you both. Thank you for this book. Uh, I mean, this is a, this is a book that's long overdue. I mean, there have been some articles out there about her. I think you know, Selena Fox was uh, was yeah, very useful to me. Yeah, yeah. You know, when I, when I first started looking for sacred sites of goddesses around you know the U.S. and put Lady Liberty as one of the sacred sites of the United States, right. uh, you know, in my sacred places book. Right. Uh, but but you guys have really taken the subject and uh, expanded it, and uh, I mean, taking yeah. it beyond an essay. And, uh, yeah. and at this point, we should connect us about anything to the Statue of Liberty. Yeah, at this point, we can connect us about anything to the Statue of Liberty. But thank you for this opportunity. <laughs> really, I know how well, dedicated you are to this work, and it's extremely important. Yes. Well, well, well. Back at both of you. I, I mean, uh, we, we're all in this together, and uh, I, I'm, I'm glad to be able to support your work as, as you have mine. And uh, before we before we leave, would uh, one of you like to please tell uh, listeners uh, your your preferred choice of where people find your book if they'd like to get a copy? Well, I know that they're available at Barnes and Noble, BarnesandNoble.com, but I would just give out our our main book website, which is secretlifeofladyliberty.com you can all the order links are right there at the top you can also order autograph copies straight from us and we'll include an extra book for free if that's of interest and don't forget that gallery is quite amazing that's fun just to look at in itself yeah Okay. Well, listen, uh, Bob, Laura, thank you so much, and the best of luck with the book. And uh, you know what? Let's let's keep in touch. You're always up to interesting things, uh, trying to make the world a better place, and I so yeah. admire you both. Thank you. Don't thank give you very up, much. Karen. Just keep doing the right uh, thing. I'm not. Uh, I'm not. I'm not. You know, I, it, it might sound like it sometimes, but I, I really do I know believe how you that feel, this, is, this is all all part of the process. You know, I yep. think this is these are the things that have to happen for us to create the new normal. And I'm That's just right. uh, holding holding on the roller Hold coaster, it. and you know, <laughs> yep. and uh, and you know, hanging on tight. <laughs> yeah, yeah. She'll see us through. Blessings. Okay. To you. Yes. Thanks. Thanks to you both. Thanks all right. For Good night. Us. Good night. Oh, my pleasure. It's been great. Good night. Well, uh, so that was uh, Laura Kortner and uh, Bob Hieronymus, and uh, their new book is uh, The Secret Life of Lady Liberty, Goddess in the New World. That is a a definite one you want for your library, uh, not just because uh, uh, it's such a thorough book, but... um, 
you know, it, it's going to be one of those classics, uh, no doubt, um, and probably the definitive guide uh, on the statue. And it seems to touch on so many other uh, topics as well. Um, you know, it touches on the politics. It touches on spirituality. Uh, it shows all of the different ways, um, you know, the Statue of Liberty is connected to the Cathars, Mary Magdalene, Black Madonna's feminists, the suffragettes. Uh, shoot, did we forgot to talk about uh, Belva Lockwood and Victoria Woodhull, but you're just going to have to get the book and find out about these early women that uh, actually campaigned for president before Hillary. Yes, indeed. So check that out. And uh, now let me turn to uh, Joe Carson uh, for a word about uh, her book, Dancing with Gaia. Most people see humankind as really separate from nature and separate from the earth. I'm as much of this earth as a rock or a tree. I mean, I came out of it. This is my mother planet. I grew out of this earth. As long as we conceive of divinity as above us or outside of us, or that our bodies are somehow less divine than spirit, there's no way that we can change our course. Well, you've been listening to the trailer for Dancing with Gaia, Joe Carson's feature-length documentary film. In it, she interviews 15 visionaries and teachers about Earth energy, sacred sexuality, and the return of the goddess as Gaia. You know, Joe traveled to ancient sacred sites all around Europe and the Mediterranean to shoot the film. These spiritual sites uh, from northern Scotland to central Turkey profoundly affected the origins of Western culture. If you've always wanted to see them yourself but you haven't, this is an opportunity for you to experience some of the best ones and get their own story. The DVD comes packaged with a 45-page color mini-book, which goes even deeper into material. You can buy the DVD and booklet for only $20 at Dancing with Gaia. And I'd also like to mention uh, Joe's other book, her newer book. Uh, it's called Celebrate Wildness. And uh, Dana Corby in her blog, The Rant and Raven, said this about Celebrate Wildness. She said, when people wonder aloud how the Wicca of Southern California became so much more nature-oriented and wild than the British traditions from which it arose, the one factor they don't take into account but should is feriferia. Feriferia, a word Fred Adams coined from Greek roots meaning wilderness festival, is a pagan tradition unlike any other. Based on Fred's visions of the divine feminine, the sacredness of Eros, and the potential for intentional communities that truly do no harm to anything, it also draws upon familiar themes to Wiccans such as sacred landscapes, prehistoric beliefs, the fairy faith. Fred intended that Feriferia should lead the world into a paradisal future in which freedom, eros, and play are the core values, where that built by human hands merges easily and seamlessly into the wild and the fae romp among us. Celebrate Wildness is a unique, exquisite, and profound book. It created in me a sort of homesickness, a wistfulness for the idealist I was. We all were back when we and the world and the magic were all young and fresh. 
Though it's a short book of only 115 pages, they are filled with art. Don't expect to read it quickly. Take your time. Let it sink into your subconscious. And what bobs to the surface will be wondrous. Celebrate Wildness is an oversized, hardbound book on heavy paper, and it's available for $45 from ferraferia.org. And that is spelled F-E-R-A-F-E-R-I-A.org. Uh, well, dear listeners, that about does it for me tonight. Uh, I hope you are staying cool uh, this summer. Uh, I can tell you I am certainly sweltering, and uh, I am looking forward to uh, a cool uh, weekend, which they promise is ahead. And um, I just uh, I just wish you well. And as, uh, as uh, fall uh, is upon us, uh, May we have a, a wonderful season, you know, the t- because we're getting ready not too long from now to enter that time of gestation, marination, the time when we go within into the darkness so that we might uh, become renewed. I don't know about you, but it has been a long, hard year, a long, hard year, and I look forward to uh, the wheel turning and uh, the time of rest Uh, and darkness so that we can uh, rejuvenate and renew ourselves and uh, come out with the return of the light uh, as our new authentic self uh, for the new year. And it will be here before we know it. Uh, Please uh, be sure you uh, click the follow button so you can um, make sure you uh, don't miss uh, the special October series, Honoring the Ancestors, Gone But Not Forgotten. Their voices and work live on. You will most definitely want to hear the voices of Lane Redman, Olivia Robertson, Lydia Rule, Margot Adler, and all the rest. Uh, It has been my honor to interview these folks, and uh, I'm so glad uh, their voices live here at uh, Voices of the Sacred Feminine Radio. So um, we will close uh, with the words of Gandhi, uh, because they are so true and so important, and they give us hope. First they ignore you, then they laugh at you, then they fight you. And then you win. Yes, indeed, as we are out there creating our new normal, I think we are in that process. We are in the evolution. So remember, what you uh, nurture, what you support, it thrives, and what you neglect, it withers. So put your focus on the things that are the most important to you. Be tenacious, be strong, be courageous, find your sacred roar. Good night, dear listeners. Uh, thank you for tuning in uh, this uh, this decade of years at Voices of the Sacred Feminine. If you're a long-time listener um, or a short-time listener, you are gas in my tank. And I will be back next Wednesday with our regular show. Uh, but remember, in October and early November, there will also be a special rebroadcast on Monday and Friday nights. Good night. Have a great weekend.